0: There are so many ways you can support H.U.G. All you have to do is visit our website, Globe.com, to see how you, too, can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support.
1: There was a lot of praying, mm-hmm. but this time there was no threat of losing my life.
0: Welcome Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski and the host of your program. Today's show is celebrating 60 years with a complex heart and our guest is Kimberly Russell. We'll start today's program by learning a bit about Kimberly and how she's been a pioneer in the world of Pugetal Heart effects. In the second segment, we're going to talk about a special contest that you can take part in. And in the final segment, we'll find out what Kimberly is doing now and what advice she has for other aging heart warriors. Kimberly was born in 1960 as a blue baby. She had blay toxic shunts in 1960 and 1965 and a central shunt with a bidirectional directional in 1992. She was 32 years old before she had any heart problems. As a speaker at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, Kimberly realized that as an adult with a complex congenital heart defect, or CHD, her story could bring hope to patients and families. At her grandmother's behest, she wrote a book entitled, In a Heartbeat, A Baby's Heart, A Surgeon's Hands, A Life of Miracles. She also started a group for Georgia adults with congenital heart defects, or CHDs. She served on the Adult Congenital Heart Association or ACHA, Board of Directors, and was an ACHA Ambassador in Atlanta, volunteering at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Kimberly.
1: Thank you, Anna. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here.
0: Let's talk about you being born as a blue baby. What does that mean? What was your heart defect? And tell us about your first surgeries.
1: Way, way back in those days, back in the 1960s, Blue babies were being born and dying. Blue babies were born with depleted oxygen levels to the point that they were even dark purple. The Blalock shunt was the only surgery available for that. And they just saw blue babies, so they did the surgery. Later in life though, my complete title is double inlet, left ventricle. With pulmonary atresia and cryocyanosis, meaning that my right ventricle may or may not be present, but either way, it's not involved in pumping. It doesn't do anything. So, the doctors thought I wouldn't live to be a month old. Sent me home, and at three months old, I was dark purple, but I had to have the surgery, and. At a 10% possible living, my parents were just ecstatic when I came out alive and pink.
0: Mm -hmm. So So, they only gave you a 10% chance of survival with that first surgery? The
1: first one, yes. Because they've only been doing it for six years.
0: Yeah. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you really are a pioneer. You really were at the forefront of modern medicine as far as congenital heart disease.
1: Yes. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that later because people, including the doctors who would always talk directly to me, my mom's listening, but they were really, you know, wanted me to be involved and they would always shake their head and say, Kim, you're a true pioneer. And I knew what pioneer meant, Uh but I had no idea until several years ago what that really meant. Yeah, And that honestly, that my condition could be fatal. Really? So I grew up, and when I got to be four, I was having more trouble with fatigue and all. And I started chewing blue again. Mm-hmm. And so I got to a point where I would have to walk two steps, squat, stand up two more steps. And the squatting I learned was a way to pump all of your blood up to your pulmonary system so that you would get more oxygen out to your body. Yeah. I remember reading about this. People would call them
0: tet spells because people with Tetralogy of Fallot would often do that as well. So when you said you were a blue baby, I was thinking you were going to tell me you were a Tetralogy of Fallot baby. I can't believe you had double inlet left ventricle. That is really amazing. So mm-hmm. here you are, you're almost five. They're seeing that this little light toxic shunt that they put in is not going to be sufficient. So they decided to do another one. Yes. Do they you have- remember that, Kimberly? Were you
1: old uh, enough to remember? I remember the day leading up to my surgery and I remember that people would stop me and Ask, have you been eating purple popsicles? Oh
0: my goodness!
1: Or are you okay? And my mom would always explain to them. So I was very purple. Wow! But the surgery was delayed as long as possible because this time nearly gave me a fifty percent chance of living. But that was so
0: much higher than what they gave you the first time. That that must have been almost a little bit of a relief that they seemed more confident that this time that would work. And to be fair, they had been doing the surgery for another five years. So they had a little bit more experience with it. Do you remember being in the hospital, Kimberly?
1: I do. But the only thing I remember for that surgery was that my pastor would come and he would always bring me, which people don't know what this is now, but the little white wax paper and you would Pencil it in, and a picture would show up.
0: Oh, my goodness. I I remember that. I was born in 1963, so I'm of your generation. And I remember those. Yes. They were so fun. They were
1: fun. And then the other thing I remember is that I played with a little boy who had lost his arm to a rear washer. Oh, wow. And there was a little girl who sat in a high chair. And made no noise ever. And if somebody approached her, generally a male, tears would just fall, but she would not make any noise. And I've always wondered what happened to her.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow.
1: So you were in a children's
0: hospital, it sounds like. And you were in a ward that had children with all kinds of problems. Nowadays, children like you would be in a ward just with other heart patients. But that wasn't the case when you were a little girl.
1: No. No, it wasn't just because we were few and far between Mm -hmm. because some could have surgery, but still the majority of heart patients passed away at a young age. Right. Now, how aware were you of your heart condition,
0: Kimberly? I mean, you had to have had a pretty impressive scar
1: on your Um, chest, right? I was aware. Because my doctors always talked to me, there was not a time where I didn't know about it. And besides that, I couldn't run. I couldn't ride a bicycle. Mm -hmm. Just the higher exertion things that children do.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I don't know if you remember from my book. I had my surgery when I was four. And I had missed out on a lot of things that three-year-olds do because I just couldn't function. So my mom, when I got home, let me do anything, Get out know, all my toys, pull pots and pans out. And I was having a heyday. And then one day she heard a noise coming from my brother's bedroom and she went in there and found me swinging on the curtains. <gasps> oh <my gosh. laughs> that was the end of my fun. <laughs> the doctor had told her she could spank me, just set me on the couch until I'm pink
0: Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Well, you said that you were 32 years old before you really started having heart problems. Of course, you don't remember those early heart problems like your mama does. Right. Tell me what happened when you were 32.
1: So at the time, I was working as a division manager for the country's best yogurt. And slowly, I was just having trouble keeping up and shortness of breath and fatigue to the point that I had trouble traveling. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where I had to ride in a wheelchair for long distances. My husband's like, maybe we should go visit the cardiologist. At that time, I came to Atlanta for my congenital care. And I went in and the doctor looked at me and he goes, are you okay? oh I'm fine he said Kim you're in a wheelchair oh I know but just for long distances <laughs> <laughs> and he's like no we need to figure out how to help you you need another surgery
2: Texas Heart Institute were offering us a mechanical heart and he said no dad I've had enough to give it to someone who's worthy
1: My father promised me a golden dress to twirl in. He held my hand and asked me where
2: I wanted to go. Whatever strife or conflict that we experienced in our long career together was always healed by humor. Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments.
0: This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions expressed in the podcast are not those of Hearts Unite the Globe, but of the hosts and guests, and are intended to spark discussion about issues pertaining to congenital heart disease or bereavement.
2: You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, Back to Heart to Heart with Emma.
0: So, right before the break, Kimberly, you were saying that you came in in a wheelchair and your doctor said, We're going to have to do something. What did he decide needed to be done?
1: At that time, there was not a true adult congenital heart clinic in Atlanta. At that time, there was a doctor. It's actually the doctor that brought the heart path to Emory. He sat down with me and told me what he thought was going on and sent me up to Mayo Clinic to have them look at me. Now, I'm going to go back 16 years because there's a little bit interesting information before we get there. When I was 16, I was doing so well that Children's Healthcare Atlanta sent me over to Emory to have them check me out because there was no way I could have what I had and be doing so well. I mean, I had two jobs. I was senior in high school, all that. So Emory's like, well, I don't find anything wrong. Maybe we need to send her to Mayo. <laughs> and so I went to Mayo, and they said, there's nothing wrong. As long as nothing's broke, we won't fix it. So that was pretty cool. Then I Mayo told me it was time for my third surgery. And originally, they told me I was going to take down my two blalop shunts, and put in a central shunt. And I was very nervous about that because I'd been living on those two shunts for so long. Yeah. You know, kind of, it was hard. Yeah. And so the doctor came and visited me the night before and he goes, okay, now we're going to do a central shunt and we're going to do a bi-directional glen. Normally, these are two separate surgeries. But I've looked and looked and looked at your anatomy and I feel very confident that I can do them both at one time. Wow. Of course, I cried again because now sure. they're switching what they're going to do. And, yeah. At um, the last minute. <laughs> yeah. And they had 12 hours to cry. Had you ever heard of a bi-directional Glenn before I that? Had not. So th- that makes it kind of scary. It is because I didn't know what that, that was. But if he was confident, he's at Mayo Clinic, it's got to be good, right? Right, right. At least you knew you were in excellent hands. Yes. And my cardiologist there is very specific when she picks surgeons and doctors from other departments. She said, I feel very confident that if he thinks he can do it, it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Now, whether or not she really thought that, I'm not sure, but it really brought me (laughs) comfort. I was like, okay. I have a feeling
0: for that time she did feel as confident as she yes. could. And you had done so well for so long, you were probably the ideal patient.
1: It was different. Mm-hmm.
0: You went in knowing that now you're going to have two yeah. different procedures.
1: What happened? There was a lot of praying. Mm-hmm. But this time there was no threat of losing my life. They didn't mm-hmm. talk about your mortality. So I'll have to tell you, I did not even realize that that was a possibility until I was like, I'm going to say 22 to 25, riding in the car with my mother and my family. And my dad was talking about his uncle that had all these heart problems. And my mom turned around and looked at me and said, Kim, you're probably going to outlive all of them got to be careful what you say, because that really kind of hit me hard. I had never thought about that. Wow. It did not bother me. It didn't weigh me down. And I, I don't drag it with me, but it was just kind of a startling realization. Mm-hmm. So you had your procedure. Yes.
0: How did it go?
1: It went well. He was able to do both. I was in the hospital, I believe less than a week. Wow. And I had traveled by car from Michigan to Minnesota, which is about 750 miles. I had to travel back with this car. And that was a little rough. You got your pillow, but. The road wasn't quite as smooth as you
0: would wish it to be. I'm sure you felt every pothole, didn't you? I did. Oh, my goodness. Now, what time of year was this? It was December 1st with my surgery, Mm, 1992. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's a long car trip to take after you've just had open heart surgery.
1: It was, but I got home and there were things I would have liked to do at Christmas, of course, Mm -hmm. but it was kind of fun to be on the other end. People came to Carol. People brought baskets of food and fruits. Usually, I'm the one doing that, and it made me realize how thankful those people are that you do that for them.
0: Wow. So, it was a chance for people to give back to you, and it made you appreciate being on a receiving end for a change. Yes. That is so cool. Yeah. So, here we are, and you're about to be 60. I am. That is just remarkable. Do you know many other heart warriors who are the same age as you?
1: I know a couple that are in their 30s. I know a single ventricle, which is not exactly what I have. And she is, I think, 63. But other than I don't. And I was told a few years back, I don't know if it's true, but like, I'm one of a hundred in the United States.
0: It's just amazing to me. So now you've decided to have this special contest. Tell us about the contest and why we're celebrating this milestone.
1: Okay. I was talking to you a minute ago about giving back. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go back a little bit to when I wrote my book. My book gave me opportunity to travel up and down the East Coast at hospitals, speaking to different groups. I started my Atlanta group, all these things. Mm-hmm. And I have met so many generous people and people that have touched my life that I wanted to do something for them on my birthday. And it took me forever, actually until last week, to decide that I wanted to do this contest. I have a room full of products. Mm-hmm. and so I wanted to have a giveaway. You can go to Facebook. It is Kim apostrophe s space heartbeat if you go to my facebook page and like it you'll get all the posts every day there's a contest for different things and sometimes it's for three people sometimes it's for five sometimes it's for one and i'll put a link in the
0: show notes to your facebook page to make it easier for people to get their Kim. sometimes people are exercising while they're listening to oh. the podcast and this way they can just read the show notes and click right over there. So all they have to do is like your Facebook page and it automatically enters them into the contest. I thought I saw one where they have to answer questions.
1: If you like my page, Kim's Heartbeat, the contest and announcements will show up on your page. I decided that to give back, I was going to give away products for the whole month of July because my birthday is July 8th and there will be contests every day and that will be July of 2020. So I hope you get to join us. It's been a lot of fun. Sometimes we have questions. It's just very random. Mm-hmm. Part of my part of my purpose too is to put a little bit of heart education out there and maybe some helpful hints kind of things.
0: Yeah, I saw the other day that you had three questions. And they dealt with the Adult Congenital Heart Association and the Children's Heart Foundation. So you're doing a great job of raising awareness of other organizations that are out there to
1: help people with congenital heart disease. Thank you. Because that really is what I want to do. I just want people to be engaged and know. And even if you are a parent of a small child, mm-hmm. they are going to be older one day. So the information is good for anybody to think about or take note on. hmm
0: Well, what do you think has enabled you to live such a long and happy life, Kim? What do you attribute your
1: success to? You know, the only thing I can think of is God's grace, probably because I have a chronic illness, maybe. I just have a drive to do as much as I can. Mm -hmm. And yes, I mean, 30 years ago, I could do a whole lot more than I can now. But I do what I can with what I have. Having positive people, having my parents always being a support, that is very key.
2: Hi, my name is Jamie Alcroft, and I just published my new book, The Tin Man Diaries. It's an amazing story of my sudden change of heart as I went through a heart and liver transplant. I can think of no better way to read The Tin Man Diaries than to cuddle up in your favorite Hearts Unite the Globe sweatshirt. And your favorite hot beverage, of course, in your Hearts Unite the Globe mug, both of which are available at the Hug Podcast Network online store. Or visit heartsunitetheglobe.org. Home
0: Tonight Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective.
2: summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more.
0: Kimberly, before the break, we were talking about celebrating 60 years as an adult with a complex CHD, but let's talk about your legacy now. First of all, in your bio, we talked about how you had written a book, and you just mentioned that again a few moments ago, but tell us about how writing that first book has affected your life.
1: Oh my goodness. I had no idea what I was doing at all. (laughs) Didn't take any classes. And I think it worked for this story just because it was my life story. Mm. And the first section, of course, was my mom's story. Mm. But I wrote it and when I sent it to a publisher, they sent it back and said, we would like to print this, but we need you to heighten the drama here, here, and here. Mm. And The parents and grandparents that are going to read it do not need more drama. (laughs)
0: That's (laughs) for sure.
1: Self-publish.
0: Because they wanted you to Hollywoodize it or make it more than what it was, that's what made you decide to self-publish instead of going with a traditional publisher?
1: Yes. I had the same exact experience. I wanted this to be what I wanted it to be, and Mm -hmm. I didn't want to embellish or anybody else putting something in.
0: Yeah, I felt like our stories were quite dramatic enough. Thank you very much.
1: (laughs) Wow. I have to say that from that book, as you were asking, I got speaking engagements at hospitals up and down the East Coast and some in the Midwest. And of course, as I got out there and spoke, more people found out about me. And parents would email me with questions. I had one lady that I will never forget. She was from California, and she had gotten my book by mistake. Mm -hmm. She wrote me and told me, thank you so much. It almost makes me cry because parents are so focused on taking care of the child that the grandparent gets left out, and they don't really understand what's going on. And so my book laid it out for her a little more so that she understood why there's no time for anything else. Mm -hmm. And that just touched me very much. I was very appreciative of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like the book opened lines of communication for you that had not been opened before.
1: Yes. Tell me what project you're working on now, Kimberly. I'm kind of taking a little twist. Still doing my contests. I still volunteer for Children's Healthcare Atlanta. We were kind of counselors at a virtual camp last week, which oh my was goodness. put on by Children's Healthcare Atlanta and the campgrounds where we usually go. And uh-huh. That was very fun. So I used to do all those kinds of things. For people who are
0: listening to this and it's way past the year 2020, we are in a pandemic right now. Right now, the coronavirus is raging, and so we're having to be a little bit more creative, aren't we, Kimberly?
1: Yes. So we had the virtual camp. Kids got to watch videos on TV and actually interact with what they were. And then we had snack chat. So when the kids were eating snack, we hung out with them, told jokes, all that kind of stuff. But my main focus right now is writing a fiction novel. I think it's going to be good. And then I'm also mentally working on an update from my last book, just kind of a sequel. People ask me, we want to know what's going on. Okay. So I'm working on
0: that. You have a lot of experience that is unique. Like you said, if you're only one of about a hundred people who are your age living with a complex congenital heart defect, there are a lot of people who want to know, well, what's next? Yeah. There aren't a whole lot of studies. So tell us what advice you have for other aging
1: adults with complex congenital heart disease. First and foremost, put yourself out there Mm -hmm. among other families in any different way. There are many ways you can find on Facebook. You can find, you know, sometimes meetings in the Atlanta area. Those people need your help because they may have a child just like you, and how comforting it is for them to know that you're an adult and you're doing fine.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, Yes. Don't ever be afraid to ask your doctor anything. Number one, they have confidentiality. So if you're in a situation that is extreme and you have to know what to do, Your cardiologist is the great place to go. They'll tell you what to do and they'll help you handle whatever the situation is.
0: Yeah, it seems to me like a lot of us families living with complex congenital heart disease, the cardiologist is part of their family. It feels like an extension of our family, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I am excited for you, Kimberly. Happy 60th birthday to you, my friend.
1: Thank you so much for having me. We've been talking about doing this for a while and have trouble getting it together. So, thank I you know. so much. Well, it I, was a
0: perfect time to do it. Congratulations on 60 years with a complex heart. You are a true inspiration, a true pioneer. And I hope you'll come back on the program. So, maybe you could tell us about that fictional book. I'm just curious will one of the characters have a heart defect?
1: Possibly. Possibly. Okay. Well, I have to work out the logistics. I have it in mind, but I'm not sure how it's going to work. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on the program today, Kimberly. Well, thank you.
0: And you take care. I feel very lucky my son has you and so many of the other pioneers to thank for having the full, rich life that he has. He's only 25. He'll be 26 this year. And it's amazing to me what a quality life he has. And it's because of people like you who were not afraid to live their fullest life and to put themselves out there, like you said. So thank you again. Happy 60th birthday. That concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna, my friends. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed this episode, why don't you leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or YouTube, anywhere you're listening to the podcast. And remember, my friends, you are not alone.
2: Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna with your host, Anna Jaworski can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern time.